know that Jesus bore it all because there's uh, so much that I am unable to bear. Like 99.9%. I'm thankful he took care of the rest, right? God is good. It's great to see each of you here uh, tonight. And those who are joining us, let's uh, go to God. Please, in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much again for this blessed occasion and opportunity to worship you. We're excited, Lord God, over the very fact to know that, that you hear us, and you're with us, and your presence blesses us, and this is our opportunity to say thank you back to you. And we worship you, Lord God, as we honor your name and bring glory to you. Help us, please, Lord God, to, to keep you in uh, the state of holiness that you are in. In our minds, help us, Lord God, to be holy as you are holy, to live in a way that brings glory and honor unto your name. And tonight as we worship you, give us the strength. Give us, Lord God, the ability to rid our minds of worldly thought and to think only of your word, to ask the question, Lord God, what is it that you have to say to us tonight? These things we pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, be thy will. Amen. Let's go back to Jonah, please, chapter 4. We're going to finish our lesson um, comparing Jonah uh, to the Apostle Paul, or Saul, even, if you will. So, Jonah and Paul both received object lessons, right? It was, was it that, that their hearts were so hard and they needed that object lesson? I don't know. It was later in Paul's life, we assume. But Jonah's object lesson is found in chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. God raises up a plant. Verse 5, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade of the until uh, he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to shade, to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Hmm. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. So Jonah had this object lesson to... You know, the idea that of the object lesson is to humble Jonah and say, hey, you know, you, you recognize that, um, you know, this plant came up and it had nothing to do with you. It was all the grace of God that the plant came up and gave you shade. How'd that feel? And it's a beautiful lesson, right? I don't know that Jonah ever really got it, though. Paul receives an amazing blessing to be able to go into uh, the place called the third heavens. And in that place, he saw amazing things. And God gave him, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. So if God were to ask you... um. What lesson, or rather, I need to give you an object lesson. It's going to hurt. And you're going to have it for the rest of your life. But it's going to keep you from being becoming prideful and arrogant. Would you say, thank you, Lord, for that? 
Or would you say, God, is there another way? <laughs> right? Um, and both received these, they got, they had these lessons that, that God gave to them personally, specifically to them for their benefit and, uh, to come to their aid. Back to Jonah, please, chapter one. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's the wreckage now. Um, both of the crews though, they tried to save their own lives. And I think something we can grab out of these, um, the wreckage of both of these the ships, if you will, the ship that Paul is on, and then uh, the, the the struggles that this other ship has. You can't stop God. Right? I mean, you know, you, we can't do like all these great works and say, oh, I'm going to please God and make him happy, therefore I'm going to stop God from doing what he wants. God is going to have his way, right? Whatever that way may be. And so uh, in verse 4 and 5, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them or for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen asleep. It's kind of funny, you know, the audacity of Jonah, right? Um, verse 8, he's pretty comfortable with God if you think about it, though. See, he, remember, he knew who was behind this, right? That's why he could go down there and go to sleep. Because he knew God was after him and they would settle accounts at some point. Um, but he was very comfortable with his God. Again, Jonah knew who God was, right? Got to get that. Uh, verse 8, then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And so they did everything they could to save themselves. You can't save yourself. Right? We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus. I want you to think about that. Think about that in light of the world. That, let's turn to Acts 27. Uh, that the world, they're doing everything to save themselves. I mean, there are so many plans of salvation, if you will, that are not in the Bible. Uh, just, you know, say the sinner's prayer. Uh, all, all you have to do is, you know, touch your, touch the TV and, and send some money. I mean, there's just so many ideas about how to save yourself. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus. To save us. That is the only way. And so in, in the Jonah, in Jonah's records, they tried to save themselves. They, they lightened the load. In Paul's situation, they tried to save themselves. Acts 27 and verse 14. But before very long, they rushed down the land a violent wind called Euroquilo. Quilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. And running under the shelter of a small island called Claudia, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship and feared they, they may run aground on the shallows of Citrus. We let down the sea anchor and so let themselves be driven along. The next day, 
They were being violently storm-tossed, and they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Skip to verse 37, please. 37 says, And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. So there's nothing wrong with what they were doing. But the point is, is that everything was wrong with what they were doing. In the sense that they couldn't save themselves. Right? Regardless of how hard they worked, there was no way they were going to stop what God had in store. Uh, look at Job uh, chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job realized that too. You know, in life, what do you do with that? When, when something comes your way and it, I mean, we're being, we're just drifting along. And there's nothing we can do. There's nothing else that can be done. What do you do? We do what we should have always done. Give it, give it all to God, right? Give our lives to God. Because in reality, isn't that true that we're, you know, we're, we're living and we're doing the best that we can, but the reality is, it's all about God, isn't it? And sometimes we forget that. And we do all that we can. And isn't that what God wants us to do? Yeah, work your hardest. But remember, you're giving way to uh, the work of the Lord. Job figured that out, see? A little late, but he had a lesson. Then Job answered, verse 1, The Lord, and said, I know that thou can do all things, that no persons of thine, uh, purposes of thine can be thwarted. In other words, nothing... Nothing that I say or think or do can stop the plan of God. Nothing. Whatever's God's, whatever God's plan is. I guess the question is, um, am I willing to give in to the will of God? Question for us to think about. The wreckage uh, in Jonah's day was, was all because of Jonah. <laughs> Jonah needed to go to Nineveh. And he fought God and he lost. And the, the wreckage in Paul's day, Paul needed to go to Malta. That's where God needed him. And so that's where he was. And that's where he went. The wreckage in my life, God needed me to become a Christian. <laughs> you know, I fought God before I became a Christian. Maybe, maybe you did too, I don't know. But God needed us to become Christians. Because we could not save ourselves. So Jonah, back to the book of, the book of Jonah. Jonah and Paul, both of them, uh, in their accounts, spoke to the captains of the ship. It's kind of rare if you think about it, right? They literally spoke to the captain of the ship. Now, I don't know how many people were on the ship or the boat that Jonah was on, but it was he paid a fare. So it was uh, a very important, obviously, uh, you know, type of a ship that had lots of people on it. And Jonah was able to talk to the captain. Now, it's interesting about the captain. I want you to look at the reaction of the captain in both passages in in the book of Jonah, also in the book of Acts. Looking again at Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will become concerned about us so that we will not perish. The picture to me is that however many passengers were on the ship... They'd prayed to their God, but to no avail. And the only one left 
when you look at the, the roster, is Jonah. And he's downstairs asleep. They didn't want what Jonah was bringing into their lives. Right? Verse 7, Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country... What people are you? And I love Jonah's answer. He didn't deny God, did he? He didn't deny that all of this was his fault. He just surrendered. And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And so he's talking to the captain, right? And the captain doesn't listen to Jonah at first because they begin to jettison the cargo, right? They're doing the exact same thing as in Paul's instance. They just start throwing all the cargo overboard to find a way to save themselves. But then the captain changes his mind. In verse 14, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. It seems like the captain was a pretty moral person, because he didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. You know, it's like, yeah, but... If we throw you overboard, you're going to die. He seemed more concerned about Jonah's soul than Jonah was concerned about the people of Nineveh's soul. Right? Because in the beginning, he could have thrown Jonah overboard. But that wouldn't have been moral. That would have been an immoral decision. And that's why the prayer to God is don't let us perish in innocence because of this man. And so we want to throw him overboard, Lord God. We pray that you will accept our offering, if you will, of Jonah to you. And so it's interesting when you go back and look at the morality of the people in the book of Jonah, all of the, uh, now this is just speculation because I don't know if the captain was a, a Hebrew or not, a Jew, but if he wasn't, or whether he was, when he asked, you know, call on your God, I believe he wasn't, right? All the people in the book of Jonah that were non-Jew were concerned about other people. <laughs> but the only Jew, Jonah, had no concern for other people. It's kind of interesting when you look at the contrast in, in the book of Jonah. Um, let's go ahead back to the book of Acts for just a moment in chapter 27. Again, in Paul's situation, the exact same thing happens. The, Paul goes, he speaks to the captain of the ship. At first, the captain does not listen, and eventually the captain does listen to the message that Paul has for him. In verse 9, it says, And when a considerable time had passed on the voyage, it was now dangerous. Since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive the voyage was certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also to our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of 
the ship. So they're engaging in this conversation, if you will. Uh, then, but what Paul was saying, or what was being said by Paul, here's this conversation that's going on, and but nobody's listening to Paul. Paul said they know Paul's a prophet, but it doesn't really matter right now because you know there's more wisdom in the pilot, there's more wisdom uh, from the captain, uh, obviously in regards to sailing the ship. In verse 21, the Bible says, And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in the midst and said, Men, you, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And so, imagine now this, there's this, do we listen to Paul? Do we stay in the ship? Do we jump over to save our lives? Do we kill all the people on the ship uh, based on the Roman law? What do we do to solve our problem? Well, later, the captain listens to Paul. No one dies. The centurion listens to Paul. No one dies. And it all works out just the way God planned for it to work out. Verse 40. And casting off the anchors, uh, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were losing, loosing the, the ropes, uh, excuse me, loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground. And the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners that none of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, he kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. Now, I want to stop there because if one prisoner escapes that's the death of the centurion right that's the law of Rome if you have a prisoner and you're supposed to carry that prisoner somewhere and that prisoner escapes then you are to be executed or killed just like in the days of Jesus when Jesus technically a prisoner right even though he wasn't but in the grave or in the tomb and when they rolled the stone away and he was not there and the guards came back the fear was the Roman law is this if Jesus' body is gone, the guards would all be put to death because they allowed a prisoner, no, he's not a prisoner, but allowed a prisoner to escape. That was the fear. So instead, they gave him great money uh, so that they wouldn't, you know, go back and tell the governor and then have these men executed. So here, though, the centurion makes an amazing decision that we're going to make sure Paul uh, gets there safely. We're going to take care of Paul and all as well because Paul is a man of God. Verse 44. And the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And thus it happened that they were all brought safely to land, exactly the way God said that it would happen. And in Jonah, in, in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, uh, the storm uh, brought some conversions, right? You know, if you look at the, the storm in Jonah, chapter 1, the, the text says, so they picked up Jonah, verse 15, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped. It's raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice 
to the Lord and made vows. So they moved from being polytheists to monotheists. They, they moved to serving, fearing God, as opposed to maybe their idol gods. Or maybe they never feared God, and now they all of a sudden are fearing God. There's a great conversion that happens from the account of Jonah. I wonder, from the 200 plus men that were on the ship, and the people on Malta, I wonder how many people were converted to Christ. It doesn't tell us. Even though it was, uh, you know, God's will to get uh, Paul to the island of Malta, it's interesting that either God just, you know, planted the seed through Paul and the whole event, all that happened, the the miracle, miraculous things that happened. Uh, And then later someone came by and watered the seed. Or maybe there were some that were converted and we're just not told. I wonder how many prisoners were converted that were on the island after seeing Paul perform the miracles that he did. They called him a god at one point, and they said, no, he's, that's not true. And I wonder how Paul preached that sermon to say, I'm not a god, like when they called him Hermes and Zeus with Paul and Barnabas. I wonder how many people were converted. Maybe none. Maybe God just wanted to make sure they heard the message for the opportunity to be saved. I think what we learn from that account, it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we just we plant the seed, Right? Or water the seed. And then allow God to do the work. Because it's God who does the converting, not us. Right? We're not the ones that save people and we're not the ones who bring conversions. That's all God. And we surrender to that. Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. So, this is, is, you know, both Jonah and, um, and Paul led foreigners to repentance. Right? They went to foreign kings. They led foreigners to repentance. They... Uh, preached a message or proclaimed a message that went to the kings of the earth. Both of them were headed to Spain, which is this. Tarshish is in Spain. If you go back and look at a map, and uh, and Paul in, in Acts somewhere uh, says, I, I need to go uh, to Spain. Romans chapter 15, I think is where it is. I need to go to Spain. They both were going to Spain. And of course, this whole event, the event in Paul's life and the event uh, in Jonah's life is on the Mediterranean. A lot of connections when you look at the... Um, Geographical locations, uh, the situations. But here's what they both realized, and this is what I wanted to get to. They both realized the grace of God. That's, they both realized it. Now, Jonah may not have accepted it. He might not have even liked it, right? I mean, can you imagine, um, here we are, we are, we are, are in the midst of, uh, a war against some foreign land, and they, and they proved to be ruthless people. Just horrible. And then folks are in front of us and, and there's this opportunity to preach Jesus to them. And we're like, I'm not going to teach them Jesus. You know, I, I want them to die because of the way they're treating us. Well, that's kind of how Jonah, Jonah felt. But you can't stop the grace of God, right? Which is extended to all of humanity, whether we like it or not. You know, sadly enough, when you look at the history of mankind, uh, and, you know, as far as from after Jesus, there are many people who try to stop the grace of God. Look at verse 9. And God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work. And what you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion 
on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. So we know there are more than just Assyrians on, in, in Nineveh. They're, they're, they're a mixed group. We also know that in order to accept grace and extend God's grace or, or teach God's grace to others, you have to have compassion. If you don't have compassion for humanity, for our fellow man, if we don't have compassion for members of the Lord's body, if we don't have compassion, we never really understand God's grace. And sometimes, um, sometimes we, we lack as a people. We lack compassion. I want to look at First Timothy chapter 1 and how important it is to have compassion. And when you think about the thought that if someone were um, in your shoes, how would they feel about your situation? But then I ask that question in another way. If, if you were in someone else's shoes, how do you feel about their situation? Do you have compassion for them? Compassion. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We have a saying, ignorance is not bliss, don't we? We're like, you know, I don't care if it was ignorant or not. That was just wrong. How would we feel if Paul walked through the doors? You know, how did the church, how the early church feel? They were leery of Paul, right? Paul was trying to force everyone to blaspheme God. Paul himself was a, a man who blasphemed God in his pursuit to stop Christianity. And he said, God, God showed him grace. God showed him mercy. Do we have that kind of grace and mercy in our hearts for our fellow man? In verse 14 it says, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And all of that Mercy and compassion brings us to the ultimate beginning of everything, and that is to be immersed in water in Christ Jesus. Jonah was immersed, and Paul was immersed. Jonah's immersion, chapter 2, was a little bit different from what we might think, but he was immersed. He went into the belly of a sea monster, and that sea monster carried him down into the depths of the sea, and then eventually brought him back up and vomited him out on dry land. He went from above the water, down into the water, and back up above the water. Verse 10 of Jonah chapter 2. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. You know, the word immerse is uh, the word... uh, Baptizo, should I say, 
is the word to immerse, to dip, right? He had more than a dipping. <laughs> he needed to stay down a little longer. And I used to always joke about my friend and say, okay, I'm going to baptize you. Look, you got a lot of sins. So we're going to hold you on until we see bubbles. <laughs> and then we'll bring you back up. It doesn't take that for God. But the point of the matter is this. They both were immersed. Every human being alive at the age of accountability and the right mindset has to be immersed in Christ. That old man has to go away. Turn to Acts, please, chapter 9. The old man has to die. The new man has to come. Allow God to bring in the newness for you. To take away the old, to bring in the new, that you might be one with Christ Jesus like every other Christian. None of us are exempt. All of us, because God does not show partiality, had to do the exact same thing. We all had to be immersed, dipped into the water, and then brought up out of the water in the name of Jesus in order to be saved. In Acts 9, in verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes, this is Paul, something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose, and he was immersed, he was baptized. It's not different for anyone else. And so, let's remember to be compassionate, let's remember God's grace toward one another, and let's remember for those who are lost, to tell them that like every other person, since Jesus... And even back in the Old Testament, when Israel crossed the Red Sea and were immersed, baptized, that in order to be right with God, that old man of sin has to die. If you're a child of God and you would like uh, prayer requests made on your behalf, you can make that known. If there's anything we can do for you, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Tell it to me again, wonderful story.